Good morning, church. It's uh, great to see you out this morning. Um, in way of introduction, because I'm seeing some new faces and actually a new format in this church, uh, we have been, uh, actually there had been blankets and, and that type of thing laying out in this space, and um, uh, this actually brings up a good point because at the church where I'm pastoring, it's called Elmshaven Seventh-day Adventist Church in St. Helena, California. Um, I was recently told by somebody, because I'm new to the church, they told me, if you remove the pews, I will leave. When the, church, when the pews go, I go. Um, but I love this church because the pews are back, and you would have had no clue that just all throughout the course of this week, uh, there have been blankets and the students have been, not all, but a lot of students are gathered down on the floor just hanging out, having a picnic, eating while I'm working my, uh, my, myself. I was going to say my backside off, but I, I figured I might leave that aside, um, <laughs> but then had to clarify it. Uh, again, my name is Matthew Gamble. I do hail now from California. Tomorrow morning when I fly back, or tomorrow afternoon when I fly back home, uh, this, this trip, this festival of faith has been kind of the hinge of me making a physical move from Florida on the east side of the United States over to California. Um, I have been serving as pastor at Elmshaven since July 1, and uh, it's just been a tremendous joy to be here with you guys this week. For those that have been here, the student body and the faculty, uh, those that have been following along with this festival of faith, I love that title. Uh, which Dr. Lyle Heiss explained to me and, and shared with me that some years ago, he was the one that coined the phrase Festival of Faith. It's always struck me as odd coming into the church a little bit later in my life or midway through my life or however you want to look at it. I was about 20, so less than midway through my life. Um, when people would say week of prayer, I just figured it would be a time where we were just for an entire week, uh, but then I would show up to these things called weeks of prayer, and there was very little prayer, just a lot of preaching and music and just celebration, and so when I get here to Avondale College, it is a joy to find out uh, it is not a week of prayer, but a festival of faith, and by God's grace, we have been festive in our faith this week as we've been unpacking verse by verse by verse. We literally went through and covered every single, uh, every single verse in the four chapters of the book of Philippians from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the end of verse 4, where we concluded last evening. Um, so if you disobeyed God's will for your life and missed any of those sessions, uh, I believe they have been recorded. You can find the audio, I believe, on the church's website. I haven't seen that myself, but I've been told they're there. And uh, just repent and go listen, and God will bless you. Okay. Uh, uh, this Actually, now I feel even that much more comfortable because the day of my departure is at hand, and uh, this is the last of 11 installments out of Scripture. Today, what we're shifting gears with, for those of you who have been following along, we're shifting a little bit of gear and bumping into Galatians chapter 2, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, it is there that we find the passage that is on this banner here to my right, your left, and that passage there, that's uh, all Galatians 2 verse 20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a little bit more to that passage. We're going to get to that 
shortly. I just pray today that your soul is richly encouraged that the Spirit of God shows up and speaks to you. I believe power that, that, that the opportunity to preach the Word of God is something that's been around for some 6,000 years. And so it's a huge honor to be standing here at Avondale College to be able to, to share in that lineage and that history of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And so by that, I do believe that God is going to show up and speak in powerful ways, how he does that and how he speaks to you and how he moves in your life. Uh, uh, is beyond, above and beyond me, but I thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness. Before I pray, I want to greet you as well because your new pastor, Eddie Hippolyte, who is uh, ripping, roaring, ready to get over here to Avondale College, uh, uh, has communicated with me this week. Uh, he's a dear brother in Christ, and I just thank God for that man, for his wife and daughter, and I know that this congregation will never be the same uh, with what God is going to do and bring in and through uh, Eddie Hippolyte. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. I know we've just prayed, and um, I just want to pray for God's blessing as we expound on His Word uh, and give Him full permission to move and orchestrate His good and perfect will. So, let us pray. God, today we come to You desiring more and more and more of You and less and less and less of sinful self. Uh, today we come here gathered on this campus and we celebrate the heritage and the lineage that Avondale College represents amongst the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I thank you for this institution. I thank you for the countless lives who have been touched and edified, prepared and equipped to go out and serve this world in your name. And so it, it is a huge honor for me to just stand here at this moment in this day in earth's history to proclaim your goodness. And I just pray that you, Jesus, would be lifted up in this place, that in so doing, you would draw each hearer under the sound of my voice unto yourself. May it be all about you. May we, may we come to understand more of you, more of your grace, more of your love. And above all, Jesus, may we not take you in vain. May we not take you for granted. May we be tested today. May we be encouraged today. May we be challenged today. May you twist us, mold us, shape us, bend us, do whatever it takes that again, we would be more like Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray and let the church say, amen. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, and picking up in verse 11. And praise God for the family here, the dedication today. Uh, that was a beautiful occurrence. Galatians chapter 2, and starting in verse 11. I'm going to just warn you, church, that these verses that we're about to expound on today could, be, come, could come across quite abrasive, but that's somewhat as to how Paul rolls, so please don't blame me, but blame the Apostle Paul. And furthermore, if you have any questions, comments, points of clarification, my email is on the screen there. It's just matthewgamble at me.com. Not that that's super important, but I do prefer you talk to me and not to others uh, about me. Um, but yeah, let us reason together. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says this, 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. This is the biblical way of saying, I got all up in his face. In other words, Paul was observing something and experiencing something and seeing something in Peter or Cephas that was not in, in, in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he got all up in his business. I don't know what you want to say here today or, or how you want to uh, picture this or the wordplay, but the Bible is often very polite. I opposed him to his face. And watch this. It wasn't just to him and him alone. He didn't just pull him aside and say, please come enter into my prayer closet. The Bible says in verse 12 that before certain men uh, uh, opposed him to his face because he stood, uh, stood condemned. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they uh, came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the what church? <laughs> Good. All three of you. Uh, um, listen, I just want to affirm you, Avondale College, you're a sharp group. You are a really sharp group. Uh, uh, but yeah, if... if if, well, and don't get me wrong, like if you don't feel like responding, that's, that's your privilege. Uh, just would encourage you once again, follow God's will for your life and just respond. Um, so, Paul gets all up in Cephas' face, and this is why. It kind of seems, seems somewhat insignificant, but the reality is, is that what Paul is addressing here is actually quite significant because what it drills down on is, is the predominant issue of hypocrisy. And by hypocrisy, you mean uh, it's, it's telling something one thing and then you live your life a completely different way. Or it is, hypocrisy is, being something one way when maybe you're at church. You act one way, you come to church, but then after church or when you get away from church, you act like a completely different person. I would simply submit to you that that is the root or the key or the, the example, prime example of hypocrisy. So what Paul says to, uh, to Peter is, is before certain men came from James, uh, Peter was sitting there eating and hanging out with the Gentiles, associating with the Gentiles. And in our day today, uh, we would associate the circumcision party with the Jews. Well, the Bible says that it's the Jews. We'll see this in verse 13. Uh, so the circumcision party is the Jews or God's chosen people or the remnant people or the Israelites. Uh, the Gentiles are the worldly people. And so what the Bible is saying here is before certain people came from James... Uh, Peter was eating with the worldly people. He was associating with the non-believers. But when they came, when the circumcision party came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the what? Circumcision party. Does this make any bit of sense? At all. <laughs> okay. Homie, Peter, is eating with worldly people. He's hanging out with them. A worldly person tells a joke. Peter is chuckling. Ha 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 ha. The Jews show up. The circumcision party shows up. 
Peter immediately pushes himself away from the table, backs up, disassociates himself from the worldly people. Are you following this? Now, question for you, church, and I don't know how you'll respond or if you'll respond. But question for you, is it wrong for us to associate with worldly people? No, did Jesus associate with worldly people? Absolutely. Uh, Actually, let me flip the script. Is something fundamentally wrong when all of your friends are Seventh-day Adventists? Yeah, something is wrong with that picture. Like if you look at your phone and you're just like, Adventist, 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 Adventist. And maybe you have a folder in your contacts just called Remnant. Something, (laughs) Something is fundamentally wrong with that picture. Uh, But it's not wrong for him to associate. What is wrong is, is that when he behaves a certain way, when the church people are around and and hangs out a totally different way, when none of the church people are around, something is fundamentally wrong. And unfortunately in Christianity today, uh, namely the Seventh-day Adventist church, we've often created a culture where we are great at playing church. Like we do a phenomenal, like, like my wife today, bless her heart, this just in, she sent me a photo because the hospital where she works, she's a physician, uh, which I praise be to God, Lord saw fit to bless me with a physician. Uh, and that's how I've been able to retire at such a young age. Um, <laughs> but hear this now, T- today my wife received this prize, uh, uh, this award, uh, and because she was one of the friendliest, she was uh, commended for being so friendly to the patients uh, and received this bonus and is excited, you know, excited about this thing, which I'm excited, I delight in as well. It will cover a delicious meal. Um, here's the deal. Sometimes in our church culture, we create a place where we're super friendly at church. We come up into church, we put on the smile, and I'm not telling you that your smile is ingenuine or, or, uh, or that you're not sincerely happy, but there's some of us that just slap the smile on, we use such catchphrases as happy Sabbath, and, and we walk around as though everything is great, while for some of us, you're struggling with sin, and you've got issues in your life, your life is falling apart. And there's things that are going on that nobody knows about. And yet we create this culture where we come into church and we play a certain role, we behave a certain way, everybody is happy, everything is good, and then we go our separate ways, and then we, we, we enter into, back into the world, and the reality of the world hits us. And then we start behaving a certain way there. Act a different way around church people than we do around worldly people. And I would simply submit to you, something is fundamentally wrong with that picture. Something is fundamentally wrong when we create a church culture where week in and week out, we come to church one day a week, and and we we put on our Sabbath best, again, a non-biblical principle, but we put on our Sabbath best as though God will accept us. And I'm preaching to the choir here at Avondale College. Quite frankly, I'm so glad, glad to be here in your all's presence. And I'm so glad that, that I see people dressed in all different types of ways. And listen, if God convicts you to wear a suit and tie, even though the tie is clearly a pagan phallic symbol, God bless you. God, no, seriously. Seriously, no, no. Seriously. And this is why I'm flying home tomorrow. Amen. <laughs> Uh, amen. 
But if God, if God impresses you that on the Sabbath day, you ought to wear the Sabbath vest, I'm being serious now, so please hear me. I for, forgive me of the, the joke. But hear this now. If God convicts you to wear a suit and tie, God bless you. It's just not a biblical standard. I think we would agree that there's nowhere to support scripturally. I mean, Jesus, a homeless man for three and a half years of his last years of his life, surely wasn't wearing a suit and tie going up into the temple and certainly had no clue what a Sabbath vest is. If you're, if you're Jesus, come on, brother. If you're going to preach, you got to wear the Sabbath vest. You'd be, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't make sense to me. But the point is, is this church, is we raise up culture and we raise up precedents in our own heart that is often wrapped around what we like and don't like. And what it ends up doing is, is it sets up these precedences or sets up behaviors in our life that are not congruent with the life and teachings of Jesus and they're not congruent with the gospel. And this is why Paul is up all up in Peter's business. This is the problem. This is the fundamental problem. When we create a, a system or when we allow church to become an event, you are church. I am church. When I walk out of this building and this facility, this facility in contrast ain't church. When you, when, and unfortunately we've fallen into the trap where when people say, are you going to church? The picture is, is a facility. Where it's churches is you. And church just doesn't occur one day a week. It occurs all day. As a matter of fact, in 24-7 Ministry Center, the church I started, uh, uh, well, by God's grace, started with a friend of mine, Steve Letty. Uh, we decided to call the church 24-7 Ministry Center. And people would be like, huh, does that mean your church is open 24-7? Huh? And I would be like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, because if any of our church members are alive, the church is open. Are you following this? When you leave this facility, you are church. And, and I would go so far as to say, surely certain behaviors that are occurring here at church would be, again, congruent with our life. I pray, in other words, that when you see me here at church and you see me later on, that there's a level of congruency in my life and not just something that's happening one day a week. So he withstands the dude to his face, gets all up in his business, and he's calling him out. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted what, church? Hypocritically, thank you for the brother. Uh, thank God for you. All right. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their what? Hypocrisy. The problem when you're a hypocrite is that you will have fruit that will lead to hypo hypocrisy. Like, like the, the problem is, is that not only are you the hypocrite, but you will give freedom and license for others to fall into the same trap, the same dupe belief, and the same focus, meaning you can behave one way at church, but behave a completely different way when you're out of, out of this divine hour. Again, another unbiblical principle, uh, but you behave one way, we're in the sanctuary. No, you're not in the sanctuary, you are the sanctuary. 
when you leave this place and this place vacates, God isn't sitting up here on the front row with his hands crossed out saying, man, I can't wait until next week. Okay, when you leave here, he goes with you. So he's seeing the rest of the Jews happy, uh, acting hip hypocritically along with him. Barnabas was led astray, etc. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was what church? Not in step with the truth of the gospel. I challenge you, Avondale College Church, our lives... We've got to come to the place where we figure out what it means to be in step and in line with the truth of the gospel. Here is the truth of the gospel, and I will just share with you various elements of this. You are broken, you are a sinner, and you have issues. God, I don't care how perfect you are. I don't care how perfect you look. The Bible that I read tells me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ellen White says that the closer you get to God, the more you will recognize your sinfulness. Some of you want to point out Enoch's life. I doubt you will go to Enoch and say to him, hey, brother, you're about to be translated. How are you feeling? Do you feel super righteous right now? Do you feel holy and perfect and, and pure and without any issues? I doubt Enoch would have responded, yes, I have arrived. I am no longer you know, sinning. I venture to guess that Enoch would say, well, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a God that saves. And somehow God saw fit to translate this to him, translate him. But again, hear this, it is very clear that we figure out what the gospel is. The gospel is we are broken, Jesus is perfect. The, go the gospel is, is that I am unfaithful, Jesus was perfectly faithful. The gospel is, is that I am unrighteous, Jesus is completely righteous. The gospel is, is that I deserve condemnation. The gospel is, is that Jesus just gives me justification, sanctification glorification. The gospel is, is that I can't, or sorry, the, the, the reality of my life is, is that I can't. And well, the gospel is, is that I can't, but Jesus has, can, and will. The gospel is, is that uh, my kingdom dies, his kingdom comes. So again, it, it's important that we get to know, and these are just a few attributes of the gospel, it's important that we get our minds wrapped around clearly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and that our lives are walking in step of the gospel. Let me, let me just flip the script real quick and tell you what's contrary, in my humble opinion, to the gospel. When we teach people that they've got to behave a certain way, that is contrary to the gospel. When we teach people that in order to go to heaven, you've got to keep the Sabbath day as though you keep the Sabbath day. Are you sure that you keep the Sabbath day? Let me get this straight. Are you telling me? Because I hear Seventh-day Adventists and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I love this church, but I'm afraid sometimes when we say we are the Seventh-day Adventist church, we are a commandment keeping people. Really? Do you keep the law? Do you freaking keep the law? Like when you look at the Ten Commandments, can you really declare in your heart before God that you keep the law? Because the gospel is, is that you can't keep the law. If you could keep it, Jesus didn't have to come and die. 
Jesus kept the law and kept it perfect. He is the author and finisher of your faith. And unfortunately, some of us have heard a false gospel. And I come here to this school and I'm teaching and preaching the word of God, just going through verse by verse by verse by verse. And unfortunately, some people are either hearing A, that it's too good to be true, or B, that I'm preaching a false gospel. And I don't get it. I don't get it where we come, come to the place where we say, thou shall not if watcheth the TV on the Sabbath day. And as long as you don't watch the TV, then you're keeping the Sabbath. Really? As long as you push your grocery cart out of the grocery store and you can still see the sun on the horizon on Friday, you're a Sabbath keeper. Really? Or, or could it be, could it be that God had something more in store? Could it be that we need to repent and say, instead of being a Sabbath keeper, maybe God has so much more in store for me with the Sabbath? Could it be that there is so much more? Could it be that Jesus was on to something for those of you who say, yeah, look at the Ten Commandments. I don't murder. I do not murder. Like bonus points on my checklist. Murder is not, because like for me, I don't wake up and be like, man, I just feel like killing somebody today. (laughs) Like on the scale of temptation, it's not a big one for me. But I will tell you this, Jesus comes along and says, you don't think you murder, but I tell you the truth, if you have anger, you've committed murder in the eyes of God. You don't think you commit adultery because you college students aren't married or whatever. And Jesus comes along and says, the moment you've looked at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery in the eyes of God. And so we suddenly are struck with the fact that the Ten Commandments are much deeper. They are spiritual. They are much greater. They have more depth and more meaning than, in my humble opinion, you and I even fully understand or comprehend. And I would just raise a flag of caution to say, maybe we should stop saying we are a commandment-keeping people. Maybe we should use some caution. Now, before I go off the deep end and you think I'm a complete heretic, I will say this. And so let me set the record straight, because here's the beauty of the gospel. Who is the lawgiver? God. Who died for the sins of the world? God. Who is offering to live in you and abide in you through the power of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you. And suddenly, when God is living in you, Guess what I believe Jesus will start doing? He starts justifying you. Well, you're justified. You are sanctified. He is starting to work his good and perfect will in and through your life. And would would it not make sense if God is the commandment giver that with him abiding in you and Jesus kept the commandments perfectly, would it not make sense that with him abiding in you, he would lead you then through his grace to keep the law? Unfortunately, what we do is, is we flip the script, we shatter the paradigm, we teach people the law and not Jesus. So we teach people the law and say, if you just keep this and you just behave this way, then God will be, will approve you and you get to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. And so what Paul is doing in this passage here is he's getting into the heart of the gospel. But when he saw these people's conduct, it was not, verse 14 again, not in step with the truth of the gospel. So he said to Peter, Cephas, before them all, and hear this now, church, and I just pray that by God's grace this will come out clear. Hear this now. 
if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? A lot of words there. Let us make this plain in our 21st century. When you see the word Jew, let's replace that with Christian. When you see the word Gentile, let's replace that with the word worldly. If you, though a Christian, live like a worldly person and not like a Christian, how can you force the worldly to live like a Christian? Let me make it even more plain. If you, though a believer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, live like a worldly, people, worldly person, devoid of the spirit, a legalist, a fundamentalist, a self-righteous pietist, and not like a follower of Jesus, the one who is embracing the gospel, how can you therefore go out to the worldly person and tell them to come be like you when you don't even live the gospel? Are you, does this make any bit of sense? What he is drilling down on is one of the single most pervasive, pervasive issues facing our church today. We create a culture where people come in, we play the game so well, we play the part so well, but we are devoid of the Spirit of God. When people are broken and hurting and come into our churches and don't have an atmosphere where they can express freely, I've got, I've got issues with addiction. My life is falling apart. And we walk in here and we, happy Sabbath. I didn't hear you. Happy Sabbath. Well, what if your Sabbath ain't so happy? What if? And yet we just tap ourselves and pat ourselves on the back because we've kept the Sabbath while there are issues happening. In North America right now, the studies continuously show that more people, more young people in their 20s are leaving the church than are staying in the church, and these are baptized people. So they get baptized because they're born and raised in our church, they go to our schools, but then they come to our colleges or don't, and then when they leave our colleges and go out into the real world, they leave the church. Statistically proven, the majority of them leave. Question for you. Did the people that came in the encounter with Jesus Christ, did they run away from him or did they run towards him? I would simply submit to you that something is fundamentally wrong when we are driving people away and not growing in droves and not attracting people. When people find us divisive, when people hear us slander and backbite and see us not united in the love of Christ, something is fundamentally wrong. I don't care how good your theology is. I don't care how good your truth with a capital T is. The truth will not save you. The truth will not save you unless the truth is, is that you have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is abiding in you, guiding you, directing you, helping you to become more like him and less like your sinful self helping the body of believers that come gathered in churches like this, helping us as a body of believers to represent the body of Christ to this planet. And that's why I praise God for Avondale College.
because since I have been here, I've heard story after story, experience after experience of young people that are embodying Christ, where Christ is calling them and they are saying, I will go. And they are following where he will lead. And for me, church, that is something we ought to celebrate. When young people are up here uh, playing music music for the glory of God, I think these are things that we ought to celebrate. The point is, is simply this. I believe that Jesus Christ is alive and well today, and I believe, unfortunately, that all too often we are running more people away, uh, uh, and it's contrary to the life and teachings of Scripture. It's contrary to the life and teachings of Jesus. It's, it's unfortunate when we find ourselves uh, uh, experiencing life, and when we look into Scripture, we're experiencing something, we're seeing something totally contrary. Something is fundamentally wrong with that picture. Now, the good news is, is we're going to come to the answer and we're going to hear the gospel pro- proclaimed here. Uh, but I pray that that's uh, clear to you today. How can you, a, a Jew, how can you, uh, a remnant person, how can you, uh, uh, an Adventist, live like a worldly and not like a Jew? And by worldly, I don't mean you listen to worldly music or country music, which is clearly of the devil. <laughs> what I mean is... What I mean is, is this, because please hear this. When I say Gentile equates worldly, here's what a worldly person is. It's not the person that drinks alcohol or eats pork. It's not the person that doesn't go to church. Because I believe that, that a worldly person can be sitting right up here in this church. I believe a worldly person can be so filled with the law that they know their Bibles inside and out and they can proof text you until the cows come home which I don't get where that phrase comes from because I would never want cows to come into my home. Um, What I mean, when I say a worldly person, uh, as the book of Jude says, it's a person devoid of the spirit. Jesus says in John 4, true worshipers will worship the Father, not just in truth. Is truth good? Absolutely. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Absolutely. Worldly people are those that are devoid of the Spirit. They may have the truth, but they're missing part of the equation. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What is the Spirit? I believe it is the Spirit of God abiding in you. What is the gospel? It is a mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, First uh, Colossians 1, verse 27. Let's continue on to verse 15. This is all in way of introduction. It's a bad joke. Didn't go over so well. Verse 15 through 21, and we land the plane. We're going to be like right on time. It's going to be a miracle of miracles, and the divine hour will conclude. The divine hour. Where do we get this stuff? The divine hour. <laughs> Sabbath best. Sabbath best. Is that your best? Because if it's not your best, it ain't good enough. Forget this come as you are. Jesus doesn't accept you as you are. You, you wouldn't go see the president of the United States like that. This is what I hear all the time. You kidding me? I mean, when we trumpet traditionalism over the gospel of Jesus Christ... We've missed the mark, and we need to just simply repent. And you guys have heard me through the week use the word repent, and I use it a little bit loosely, but I'll tell you this. I I have come to believe wholeheartedly in my heart, because I used to hear the word repent, and it was a dark word, a kind of a negative word, kind of an oppressive word. 
now that I've understood the gospel, the invitation to repent is the, one of the single most beautiful invitations in all of Scripture. The word to repent, and I, again, we need to be people that we repent of our sins, we repent of our ego, we get out of the picture and let Jesus have full reign. And we're going to get to this in just a moment. So here we go, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners yet. Now watch this. So please, y'all can debate with me all you want. You can say, well, he gets too angry when he preaches. I get angry because people are telling me that I'm bringing Satan into the church and I don't get it. That's why I get angry. I'm sick and tired of it. They don't talk to my face. They talk to everybody else. Here's the gospel, church. Verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also who have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't get what the problem is. Somebody help me understand the problem. And now you can go and say, well, he yells. I don't come up here intending to yell. I think that's probably the hardest I've ever yelled. I just don't get it. And I'm freaking sick and tired of it. I don't want it anymore. I don't care about denominationalism. I care about being a son of the most high God. It just so happens... It just so happens, church, that I believe that God raised the Seventh-day Adventist church up in 1844. I believe he raised it up from the rubble, or rubble, and rubble, rubble, <laughs> from the rubble of a great disappointment. And as God always does, he brings some of the most beautiful things out of the greatest devastation. I believe that God raised this church up. I just believe that we miss the point when we read scripture and it's going in, it's contrary to what it is that I often hear proclaimed. As I've already said this week, there are so many people in my life right now that have left the church. We were at college together at Andrews University when I first came into the church and now they're gone and they want nothing to do with it. To this day, God is my witness. I have never met a solitary one of them who when I asked, did you leave because of Jesus? Did you leave because you looked at the life and teachings of Jesus and said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with him anymore. Not a single one. Not a single one. Could it be, could it be that you and I desperately, desperately need Jesus could it be that the God who died on the cross 2,000 years ago is alive and well today, and with His Spirit abiding in us, this church, this Seventh-day Adventist prophetic movement, I believe we have a voice to the greater world. And quite frankly, you know the unfortunate part is, is the world is embracing the Sabbath without us. Why? Because we've, we've, we've all but emasculated ourselves. We've all but cut ourselves off from society because we're the remnant and we're a peculiar people. You know who is the most peculiar person on the planet? Jesus. So quit thinking that a peculiar person wears denim skirts down to their ankles. Quit thinking that a peculiar person is a vegetarian 
Quit thinking that a peculiar person is a Sabbath keeper and doesn't watch TV on that day. Jesus is the most peculiar person, and I would simply submit to you that we ought to be peculiar as Jesus was peculiar. We know, verse 16, church, that a person, we're not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed, believed in Christ Jesus, not believed in myself. I don't go around believing I am keeping the Sabbath because of this, that, and the other. My belief is not in my own behavior, not in my own actions. My belief is in Jesus Christ. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. I just don't get how... And maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. I just don't get how we can get combative over something that is relatively pretty simple. You don't get justified by works. You get justified by faith because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So you can go around declaring, uh, we are a commandment-keeping people, but you're not justified by that. In God's books, what that means, that means nothing. Actually, in God's books, if you're going to say you're a commandment-keeping people, I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't get how we can go around boasting about that. You would think if we, if we truly understood that we are a remnant people, you would think that we would be some of the most humble people on the planet. You would think that we would become some of the people that considers others more than we consider ourselves. You'd think we would become the type of people that pour our lives out uh, uh, on behalf of those that we serve. And unfortunately, when we think remnant, we just become isolated. We, we often, again, we just, yeah, we, we back up. We go away, we huddle in our own little groups, we navel gaze, while the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and while we're doing a great job sending people out. Verse 17, uh, uh, continuing on, but if, but if church, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Here's the deal. I believe that what Paul is getting at here, if, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. What is a sinner? It is a worldly person devoid of the Spirit. So if we're devoid of the Spirit, something is fundamentally wrong. There's only one text in all of Scripture that talks about rebaptism, and the reason why they were rebaptized was because they had not even so much as heard of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, church again, we do great worshiping the Father in truth. But oftentimes, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, I'm not trying to sound as though I've got it all together, uh, uh, but we are often devoid of the Spirit. Is the Spirit of God guiding? Is the Spirit of God directing and leading? Verse 18, for if I build what I tore down, I prove to be a transgressor. So if I just build up, you come and accept the gospel, you die to self. If I build something up with a bunch, of, a bunch of rules and regulations, if you spend an hour in the Bible every day, God will bless you. If you wear your Sabbath best, God loves you. If you pay tithe and 10%, God will do it. And we build up all these rules because as human beings, it's our nature for control and we want things to be black and white. But the gospel is not black and white. The Spirit of God is alive and well. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. The way God rolls is not how you roll. And it's contrary to how you roll. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law condemns us to death. 
Uh, read Romans 7. I would highly encourage you. There's an analogy there about a woman that goes to a party. She's or, or a woman that, that is married to a man, but she wants to marry another, but she recognizes that she would be an adulteress. This is a little bit confusing, but it is an analogy there. And the analogy is all about that the woman and you and I are represented by the woman recognize that I can't, if I am married to the law, which every human being born into this planet is married under the law or born under the law and the wages of sin is death, we would not know sin if it weren't for the law. We're born under it, but then we come to this place where we start to see the gospel. Jesus reveals himself to a way that we understand and we choose to accept the gospel. And what happens is, is in order to marry Jesus, you have to get divorced. But in the story, you can't get divorced. So what happens is, is the law is not gonna go away. The law's not going anywhere. I'm not putting down the law. And the law is not gonna die, but you die. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 19, though through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God, be married to another, none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 21, uh, 20 and 21, and I close, church. For I, Paul says, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are born into this planet, and it is all about your kingdom. Unfortunately, some of us have been painted a picture of the kingdom of God that is contrary to Scripture. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is not that in your little circle of life, Jesus, when you accept him, comes and is a convenient part in your life where one day a week you come down with the village and hang out and worship God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you die and he invites you to live in him. It's not about your circle and your life anymore. That is surrendered. That is laid down. You die to self so that you may live in Christ. He invites you to enter into his life, his righteousness. And so in this respect, you are righteous. In this respect, you are walking pure and clean. Ephesians talks about that we are already in heavenly realms. I don't feel like I'm in heavenly realms. I don't look like I'm in heavenly realms. I don't smell like I'm in heavenly realms. But that doesn't negate the fact that by God's grace and through faith, I am in heavenly realms because my life is surrendered. And as Paul declares to you, I declare to you today, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I just consider it the best gift on the planet. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being faithful to the point of death. Thank you so much that you told us that you would not leave us alone. You would never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you so much for being faithful to that promise and for sending us the Spirit. The same Spirit that dwelt in you is available to dwell in us today. The Bible says, as we heard uh, read here earlier today, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So you offer us your mind, your heart, your life. 
in complete contrast to our life, which is filled with I and the focus is on I and what can I get, what can I do? It now uh, it starts to become, as you are in us, abiding in us, what can I give and what can you do in and through me? And when we get victory over sin, when we see fruit of the Spirit and people's lives are being touched and our lives are being moved and directed in areas that we would have never hoped, dreamed, or imagined, we don't take the glory for ourselves. We give all praise, honor, and glory to you. And just as you, Jesus, on this planet, when you walked and people said, why is this going on? You always said, so the Father can be glorified. So it's like a chain reaction. We glorify you, you glorify the Father. And I just pray that, that as the Spirit of God dwells in us richly and abundantly, I pray that you will continue to move mountains. I pray that you will continue to work miracles. I pray that your kingdom, as you prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, I pray for this church community at Avondale College that you will continue to guide, continue to bless. I pray that they would recognize that you are the head, you are the good shepherd, you are their pastor. And we are the, simply the body of believers gathered. Jesus, you've been lifted up in this place today, and I just pray that you would have fulfilled that promise, that you would draw people unto yourself, whether that be one step or whether people are running towards you. I just give you all praise, honor, and glory, and thank you. Continue to guide and direct us this day. Teach us to surrender more, that it would be less about self, and it would be all about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.